Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 9 today. Genesis chapter 9 for our study. We'll be starting in verse 18 for our reading today, verse 9, verse 18 rather, of chapter 9. And we'll just go to the end of this chapter. And as a reminder, we'll take a pause in our Genesis series uh, for next Sunday and have a special, me- special message on Easter. And then we'll go back to Genesis chapter 10, chapter 11 in the weeks following after Easter. And you don't want to miss that. When we get to the Table of Nations and the Tower of Babel, I'm serious. You really don't want to miss those messages. So here we go. Verse 18 of Genesis 9, as we continue our survey through the book of Genesis. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. And when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. It was Abraham Lincoln who helped save the United States back in the days of the Civil War. It was Winston Churchill who helped save the free world from Nazi Germany. The Russian Vasily Alexandrovich, Arkhipov, who helped stop a nuclear war in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Edward Jenner invented the first vaccine and defeated smallpox. Jonas Salk, who stopped polio. All these men left a legacy that has directly impacted all of us. And the reality is that for good or ill, all of us will leave some sort of legacy. Men, I ask you today in this room, what kind of legacy will you leave? What kind of legacy will you leave with your family? There are many ideas about how men should lead their families, but whether you are leading or not, God will still hold you accountable for how you led your family, especially in a day when families are so vitally needed and are under such heavy attack. Many men can command a business, an organization, or even a church. But unfortunately, many men have abandoned the role of responsibility in leading their families. If you do not lead your family, you and your family will suffer. If you do not lead, don't expect anyone to follow. So what legacy will you leave with your family as you lead? Men, as we will see today, the scriptures maintain that we are 
called to leave a legacy of hard work, sobriety, sexual purity, God's training in righteousness, godly discipline, and a life completely surrendered to God. What legacy will you leave behind? Our message series is back to the beginning. We've gone back to the book of Genesis. And today we're going to focus on the legacy of a father. Today's message is a challenge for all fathers and those who want to be fathers. Young ladies, pay close attention because God's word will be describing the kind of man you want to look for here. A legacy. What are you giving your descendants? Are you showing them honor? Are you showing them respect? Fathers need to consider their legacy more so than their achievements, their portfolios, or their bank accounts. Here we see in verse 18, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. The reality is that our children have a potential greater impact than we will ever have. As in banking by way of interest, we in effect compound ourselves within our children. And then again in their children, I am indeed my father's son, but I'm also my grandfather's son. Fathers, what kind of legacy will you leave for your children and your grandchildren? Now normally this is a kind of a passage you might preach kind of a message you might give on Father's Day. But on Father's Day, for some reason, men disappear from church. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not. So you get it now, right before Easter. Before we study, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your incredible kindness and grace toward us. Lord, as we approach your word, we recognize that we are incredibly needy. We need to hear from you today. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our hearts at the hearing of your word. So, Lord, open your words to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today, knowing full well that there's no one here by accident, but by your sheer grace. Lord, help us not to miss anything. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes notes outline in the materials you received when you walked in. Here's the first truth for your consideration. What legacy will you leave? Well, first of all, the legacy of hard work. In verse 20, it says, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Throughout Scripture, all of us are commended to work. We're encouraged to work. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Further on in 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Oh, we know who they are. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. One thing I know about my dad's dad, my grandfather, we called Gramps, he was a worker. And quite frankly, we could almost say he was a workaholic. 
There is an extreme on this where you never come home and you're just concerned about the company, about the business, and as my father would say, don't ever give your life to the company. They'll never return the favor, right? So there is a balance here. Yes, we need to be working with our hands. We need to be industrious in all that we do as we leave a legacy of hard work. I've learned that legacy. I, I'm constantly doing something. So people ask me, are you doing anything? I'm like, yes, I am. I am doing something all the time. But secondly, the legacy of sobriety. Because now things take a turn in a horrible direction. In verse 21, it said that Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. But it says in verse 21, he drank of the wine and became drunk. Scripture has much to say about alcohol. So can we talk about alcohol for a minute? Is that okay if we talk about it? This thing in our culture? Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise... I didn't say it. God says it. Proverbs 23, 29. Solomon goes on to say, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about it. Can we talk about it for a second? Can I give you five reasons why alcohol is a bad idea? Notice how I'm saying that. I'm just saying this is Bradley's opinion. I'm going I'm to share with you my opinion for just a moment here, if I may be so bold. Five reasons why alcohol is a bad idea. Number one, for me, I, have, I was an insurance agent for over 10 years. Do you have any idea how much money has been spent in the insurance industry because of alcohol, because of accidents that take place? But now for the last 20, almost 25 years in pastoral ministry, do you understand how many messes I've had to clean up pastorally trying to help people with alcohol issues? trying to restore families, to put marriages back together. You guys, here's my first principle. I don't want to tithe to the industry. I don't want to give them a nickel of my money because I'm constantly, my whole career, my whole life, I've been cleaning up other people's messes because they couldn't deal with it. Secondly, there's health issues associated with alcohol. We all know this. I mean, the pregnant mother, we say, oh, she shouldn't be drinking. Well, why not? Well, it's not good for baby. Well, maybe it's not good for her either. And plus, we all know that if there's too much consumption, it'll destroy your liver and all, all kinds of issues. Thirdly, just the issue of sobriety alone. 
by the way, how, how much do I have to drink to finally be influenced a little bit? How much? Just one. Ask any police officer. Just have one, and you're already being affected. I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard enough time trying to deal with reality with my mind not being adjusted a little bit. But then we want to adjust it some more. Scripture calls us all over the place to be sober-minded. And I just, I don't want to, just for even a moment, not be clearly thinking about what's real and what's true. But not only that, I don't know if you knew this or not, there is no positive scripture whatsoever. This is the fourth principle. There's no positive scripture whatsoever concerning strong drink or ale. There's not one, not one positive reference. With wine, from the Hebrew and the Greek, huinos and yayin in the Hebrew, there's both connotations. You, you get some positive statements, you get some negative. We just read some negative ones, but there are some positive ones regarding wine. Wine is good for the soul and things like that, or Jesus even turning the water into wine. I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't about, you know, contributing to some sort of debauchery in the midst of a wedding. But if you think about it, at a wedding, people aren't, you know, they're not pounding the wine. You know what I'm saying? That's not what's happening. But the fifth one is probably more important to me than any of them. The fifth one is, I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. I want to live in such a way wherein I'm living above reproach so that I don't trip anybody else up. And as a pastor, you can imagine, I've sat down with countless individuals dealing with substance abuse, in particular, alcoholism. And so if I'm telling you, hey, you shouldn't drink, and then I'm going out and going, oh, and I'm putting it away, does that look right? And I'm telling you, hey, you should probably not do that, but I'm going to do it. No, I'm just not going to do that. You know, when we lived in Europe, I don't know if you know this or not, but there seems to be a lot of alcohol in Europe. Have you ever been there? Uh, it's unbelievable. Everywhere you go, it's everywhere. And man, you go to the grocery store, you know how in America we have like one big row of alcohol? They've got like five rows. And man, it looks pretty cool. It looks, I mean, these cool bottles. And I was like, wow, this is really something. And I got to be honest, I got over there. I'm in a far country. Who would know? For Christmas, I had people in my congregation giving me these gift baskets with wine bottles in them. Wow. The first thing we were invited to go do as, as, as a, here I am, the new pastor of the church, and some of my parishioners, including a couple missionaries, they said, hey, we're going to a wine tasting festival. You want to come? I'm like, huh? What? I said, okay, I'll go. And they said to me, well, be sure you don't drive. You've got to take public transportation because they have zero tolerance here in Hungary. Oh, okay. So I go, and the first thing they do is say, you, get to, you register, you give them a few uh, forint, that's the Hungarian money, whatever. You give them some dollars. And they give you a, a wine glass with a string around your neck. So you're walking around with your... That's what you're doing. And you're just... And you're going to... You can't tell me that after the ninth glass that maybe you're not affected, I'm thinking. So I said, you know, I don't, I don't need the glass. I'm just going to eat the food at the festival, stuff like that. You'd order pizza in Hungary, and it would come. Here's the, the guy at the pizza. He'd come, and as he gives you the pizza, he hands you a six-pack. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? My kids are looking at me like, Dad, what are you, you going to do? 
So, I, so we just gave that alcohol to the missionaries, apparently. That's what we did. Um, it was a little confusing. But here's the deal. Should my convictions change because I've gone somewhere else? No. How would it be all the people that I counseled in the past who are now walking in sobriety, who've turned away from the alcohol, and they found out, well, Pastor Brad went over, overseas and he started pounding it. I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. You know, those are my five reasons why alcohol is a bad idea. But you're, you're going to have to decide before God what, what he would want you to do in terms of how you protect your family. But let me tell you this. Men, your wife and children are longing for safety and security. And if you're messing with that, you're putting that security at risk. I, by God's grace, I have never had to fear or be embarrassed by the drunkenness of my father or either of my grandfathers. I've never had to be afraid of that. And this is something that you can provide for your family, guys. The legacy of hard work. The legacy of sobriety. Thirdly, the legacy of sexual purity. We already thought it's going in a bad direction. Now it's going to go in a really bad direction. In verse 21, it says, He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, here's the deal, folks. This passage is not very descriptive. We aren't sure precisely what happened here. But whatever took place, it was extremely inappropriate. To such a degree, in verse 24, we see reflected... When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, something took place that was inappropriate. If it's regarding something incestual, like Leviticus 18 tells us, none of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Again, do we know the euphemisms of all what that means? I think we can get the idea of what's going on here, what's possible. By way of homosexuality, Genesis 13, 13, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Understand the issue here. Wicked these men who were wanting the messengers, these other men, even Lot offered at one point his daughters. They said, no, we want the men. They cried out in the streets. And God says it was wicked. Now the men of Sodom were wicked. That's ra in the Hebrew. That's the strongest word for depravity in the Old Testament. Again, homosexuality is a sin against God's created ordinance for one man and one woman. It's a sin against creation. It's a, a sin against God's decrees. In terms of what God said, he says, you shall not do this. And thirdly, it's a sin against God's character. For when people say that, oh, it's okay, when God says, no, it's not okay, that's to impeach God's character in terms of his assessment about it. If God says this is an abomination and not right, and we say, oh, we think it's okay, we're saying, God, you're wrong about that, and we have no right to say that. How dare we impeach his character? How dare we turn from his commandments? How dare do we reject his created ordinances? 
Genesis 18.20, and the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. Genesis 19.7, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. That was the cry. Scripture tells us, the psalmist writes in 119.37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. This goes for all sexual sins. Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? 2 Corinthians 10.5, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Dads, your sons are watching where your eyes go. They're watching and modeling you. If you're ogling women, you are teaching them to ogle women. Men, you should only have eyes for your wife. Put away the porn. Put away the filthy movies. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Oh, that we'd think about awesome things instead of horrible, destructive things. Paul goes on to say, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of, of peace will be with you. You want peace in your life? Oh, walk in righteousness, won't you? The legacy of hard work, the legacy of sobriety, the legacy of sexual purity. The fourthly here, the legacy of godly training in righteousness. Now watch this. Verse 23, what happens? Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and they walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward. They did not see their father's nakedness. Remarkably here, Shem and Japheth knew what to do, unlike their brother Ham who failed. And I ask, how did they know what to do? Where else would they have known what to do unless their father had trained them in what was right? Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Deuteronomy 6 has a great reminder for all of us as parents. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, which means basically you're going to talk about who God is all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If you haven't been talking about these things with your little people, it's age-appropriately time to start talking about these things. This won't be on the screen, but listen closely to what the psalmist says in Psalm 78. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, even the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, 
whose spirit was not faithful to God. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Your kids are longing to know where the boundaries are. It's good to have boundaries. We all need them desperately. We were raising our three daughters. We had a living room with a fireplace in it, right? And the rule was you can enjoy the living room, but man, you're going to stay away from that fireplace. Why? Because as a toddler, you're going to fall down, you're going to hit your head on the stone, on the brick, and we're going to go to the hospital. I don't want to do that. It's not going to be good for you, not going to be good for me. So we made some boundaries. Thou shalt not pass. And we drew the line, and we were consistent, and we kept the line. Why? To protect them. Was that because we're being hard, you know, hard-nosed parents? No, because we're crazy about our kids. They need to know where the boundaries are, where we are demonstrating great love, compassion, grace, and mercy, and yet discipline, righteous, just, appropriate discipline. Train a child up in the way he should go. So, guys, uh, you know, what are you doing? Sometimes we have expectations for our children and we've never done any training. I, I've, I've, I've seen fathers do this. And one guy asked his son to mow the lawn. Son mows the lawn. Father comes home and goes, well, this is all wrong, and he re-mows the lawn. Did he help this young man? No. Hey, son, let me show you how to mow the lawn. Let me show you what it looks like. Let's do it together. Let me show you how to sweep. Let's sweep the, the kitchen together. Let's sweep out the garage together. Let's change the tire together. Let's do things together. As opposed to, no, I got this. I'm the man. Watch me. You stand over there. Stand back. I'm being a man here. And I learned so much from my dad and both my grandfathers. I'm so very thankful. Fifthly here, the legacy of godly discipline. At which point, now that everything's hit the fan with this whole issue, these brothers finally do what's right to cover things up. And now we see Noah, he's going to exercise some discipline here. When Noah awoke, verse 24, from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. He exercises a judgment. He brings forth discipline where there is honor for those who deserve honor and there is judgment for those who deserve judgment. Proverbs 22:15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yeah, it sure is. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. I remember one day when I was a little guy at the, the table, we had this kind of a kitchen bar and we'd uh, be sitting at the bar you know and there's be the tv maybe and we're watching having some dinner and 
and um, I was misbehaving, kind of being ridiculous uh, as I'm sitting there. Now, again, I'm a silly young little guy. I'm the youngest of four. My two brothers and sisters to the left of me, and I'm on the end of the bar, and here's mom and dad sitting right here, and I'm a little, I'm not behaving very well at our table. At which point, my dad gives me a swat. And I said, well, that didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I learned something that day. And you know what? Praise God for that. Praise God for that. I'm thankful that my dad had the guts to deal with me. Why? Because I needed to be dealt with. Our discipline should not involve uncontrolled anger or abuse here. Always a thoughtful explanation as to why you're going to receive what you're going to receive. We always did this with our kids. Followed by a measured consequence. And in our household, man, if you lied, twice the discipline. Whatever you had coming, you're getting double now. And all you had to do is say what was true, and that wouldn't have happened. The legacy of godly discipline. Lastly here, the legacy of a life completely surrendered to God. Verse 28 and 29, we really don't hear much more about the life of Noah other than what we see reflected in, in Romans 13 and Hebrews 11. But here it says in verse 28, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. That's a long time. Again, it was a different world prior to the, the great deluge, and now the world is being changed after the flood. In verse 29, all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Remember that passage a few about a month or so ago we read through, and he died. There's another one of those, and he died. All of us need to finish well, not just while our kids are at home either. Your entire life should be a Christ-like, biblically-centered legacy. Romans 13, 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires, modeling Christ. In Hebrews 11:7, 7, we read, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We need to live a life that's completely surrendered to God no matter what. Years ago, I was in Wisconsin. Even before I was in full-time ministry, I was with a, a friend of mine. We were out playing golf one day, and his marriage was not going very well. It wasn't going very well at all. And the way he described it is, you know, I don't, I don't have a marriage partner. I have a roommate. And he was pretty sad, pretty dejected over how his marriage was just not a biblically oriented marriage at all. They had several children, and he was very frustrated, very upset, and he was ready to throw in the towel. He was talking to me about, you know, I think I just need to get it over with because I don't see any change. I don't think anything's going to ever be any better. It's all messed up. And I said to him, you know, one day you're going to be playing golf with one of your boys. 
And one of your boys is going to be going through a hard time with his marriage. What do you want to be able to tell him at that time? You want to tell him that, well, here's what I did. I just told your mom to get lost, and I broke up the family. I destroyed it. went my own way. You want to tell him that? Or you want to tell him, you know, sometimes marriage is hard, and sometimes we have to endure difficulty, problems, issues, concerns. And I chose to love your mom. And I hope you can find a way to love your wife the same way. By God's grace, he took the counsel, and by God's grace, they're yet together and now enjoying their kids and their grandkids. Again, I was saying stuff like that way before I became a pastor, guys, because it's true. What kind of legacy are you going to leave for those who are coming after you? I think of men like Dr. Bruce Dunn, who is my pastor growing up, who mentored me in my faith, or Pastor Don Christensen and Pastor Bill Bartz, who mentored me into full-time ministry by God's grace. Or Pastor Paul Klein, he was a youth guy at our church in Wisconsin who taught me how to love ministry. Or my best friend, Dan Learned, who helped me walk righteously in my high school years when everybody else was destroying themselves. And then there's my dad, George Delbert Belcher Jr. There he sits right back there. Who gave me life and taught me the love of truth. My grandfathers, George W. Belcher Sr. and Clark DeWitt Wilson, who both taught me how to be a man through success and failure. All these men have directly impacted me because of their faith in Christ. Their love and devotion to their families, to Christ, and their incredibly consistent walk with God. To my knowledge, all of these men have walked in righteousness, surrendered to God, and all of them lived lives above reproach in their witness for Christ especially my dad's dad, which is really remarkable because he didn't come to Christ until late in years. I knew him as a believer. Were they perfect? No. But were they righteous by God's grace? Yes. They were honorable men. And since they have impacted me so richly for Christ's sake, their legacy to me now affects, I hope, by God's grace, I hope it affects the legacy of others. So men, what legacy will you leave with your family as you lead? Remember, if you do not lead your family, you and your family will suffer. If you do not lead, don't expect anyone to follow. With Christ's help, we should do all we can to leave a legacy of hard work, sobriety, sexual purity, godly training and righteousness, godly discipline, and a life completely surrendered to God. So how are you doing, guys? Gals, are you glad your guy heard this one today? Are you gals? Ladies? I hope so. Would you please stand as we close our service? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And even with a situation that Noah was encountering through his own failure, we can learn much about it. But Lord, I lift uh, especially our men up today. And Lord, the call has gone out. 
Lord, may we live lives in such a way that we are leaving behind us in our wake, not destruction and chaos, but that we might leave behind a godly heritage for the remainder of our days, exercising godly discipline in the lives of our kids, that we might all walk in purity, sobriety, being hard workers. Lord, we need your help to do all these things. We cannot do them in our own power. We need the Holy Spirit in us as you've called our attention to these things through this passage. And so, Lord, I lift up our men that indeed they would lead. They lead well by your grace. Lord, I pray for our women that they would encourage our men. They would cheer them on and root for them, uphold them, and care for them. But Lord, help us as men to initiate these things to such a degree that our wives and our kids are affected in an amazing way. And ultimately, not only our families, but the whole world would see what a man of God might look like. Or the world is yet to see what it would look like for a man to walk with you in complete devotion. Or we have much work to do. Help us to grow. Help us to mature in these things. Lord, if there's a there's anyone in this room that's wrestling with any of these things that we've talked about today, Lord, it's my prayer that you would help them. You would guide them, that you'd give them strength to walk away from things that they need to. If it's sexual purity, Lord, that uh, you'd help them to walk in purity. If it's issues of sobriety and substance abuse, oh God, I pray that you'd help each one to turn away the wine from the liquor. And the tobacco. And the marijuana, whatever it is, from the illicit drugs, whatever it is, Lord, help them to turn away from what they need to turn away from. Not through any conviction I've brought, Lord, but from what your word brings. That we can be convicted from you with what you have to say about these things, that we would walk in sobriety. There are those who need to get at it in terms of their work. Lord, I pray that that would be the case. They wouldn't be idle. If there's discipline that needs to be poured out in the family, that that would take place in appropriate, good ways. And then a lifelong legacy of walking in righteousness. Oh God, help all of us to do that, and to do that well. But Lord, in all these things, we need your help. We need to be empowered by your spirit through faith in Christ. So Lord, may we model you. May we look like you more than all else. Living in such a way as to not cause others to stumble, but to others to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this word. Pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen.
Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week. Hopefully you can come out Thursday for our service.